fans welcome back to another episode of the agony of defeat podcast and actually if you're not a sports fan that's okay as well uh, my name is matt andrews i'm a professor in the department of history at unc chapel hill and i teach courses on the intersections of sports and politics in the united states and i'm jonathan weiler i'm a professor in global studies at unc i also teach a course on the intersection of sports and politics globally Globally, so the Olympic Games must be a big part of your, your I, I know it's a big part of your course, Jonathan. Yeah, and of course, Matt, you specifically teach an entire course on the history of the Olympics. Yeah, and that's the only course that's really non-US focused for me. I mean, all of them are, but that, that, that's more of a, of a global history. I, I learned so much about the world watching the Olympics. Um, you know, I, gosh, I, I should have written it down. There was a country I had never heard of before that was in the opening ceremony and I already forgot it. I was like, wait a minute, what is that country? So, you know, I get on Google and I figure it out and I educated myself. It wasn't Vanuatu by any chance. Was it? It, I, no, it wasn't Vanuatu. It was, oh, it used to be like Upper Volta. No, that's the con. I don't know. I can't re, re Upper remember. Upper Volta is now Burkina Faso. Well, it's not Burkina Faso then. All right. I'm showing my, my ignorance right okay. here. So I'm going to stop right there before. Maybe it was Canada. I'd never heard of that country. I don't know. Something along those lines. Yeah, every four years, Jonathan, the, the Olympic Games is a reason to educate ourselves, not just about sort of global geography, but about the issues, sports issues, issues out, outside of the world of sports. And the Olympics that just, just finished in, in, in Tokyo did not fail to disappoint in that way. No, no I'm not, on that point, I actually want to read you something and get your reaction because in many ways, I feel like there's been more criticism of the Olympics this time around than ever before because of COVID, because I think just of growing awareness of gender imbalance in global sport, yeah. controversies around uh, transgender athletes. Um, you know, the IOC is not a popular organization. Right. So. All right, but so here's, I wanna, I, so this is an article from the Washington Post uh, from yesterday, just as the Olympics were wrapping up. That's an unusually positive characterization of the Olympics. And I just, I wanna hear your, I wanna hear your thoughts about it. Let's do it, Jonathan. Okay, all right. So this starts with a quote from IOC committee president, Thomas Bach. Uh, and he said at the closing ceremony, in these difficult times, you gave, the, you gave the world the most precious of gifts, hope. For the first time since the pandemic began, the entire world came together, sport returned to center stage, billions of people around the globe were united by emotion, sharing moments of joy and inspiration. Yeah, so I, I, I heard him say that yesterday. I'm, I'm, I'm that guy. I actually watched the, the closing ceremonies and both the opening and the closing ceremonies were, were very muted and, and very unexciting. And I'm used to Tomas Bach or Juan Antonio Samaranch or Avery Brundage, you know, getting on, on, um, on the podium and, and talking about how this is the most meaningful Olympics ever. Um, but yeah, I don't think he's entirely, and, and I often roll my eyes at those statements. 
But, you know, Jonathan, if there was one thing I've been looking forward to with these Olympics and, and I was hoping it was going to be the symbolic moment when we had clearly come out the other side of the pandemic right. and, and, and healthy bodies from around the world gathered for the first time. You know, and in my mind, people weren't wearing masks and there were people in the stadium and it was going to be just in some ways, this is why it was going to be the best Olympics ever, because it actually was going to be meaningful in that way, right? Healthy bodies coming together. Celebration of the end of the pandemic. Yeah, and, 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 and the healthiest people on the planet, you know, demonstrating what they can do in the field of, of sport. And I still think that did happen to an extent. I, once again, I don't feel like the, 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 the level of competition or the displays by the athletes, that they were diminished in any way. Every event I saw, I was kind of surprised by how hard people were competing, by how meaningful it was to them, how they would drop to their knees and burst into tears, probably because COVID had made everything so much harder. But winning and competing and, 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 and not winning, it was all clearly so meaningful to the athletes, even without the roar of the, the crowd and the emotion that just being in a, in a stadium with 90,000 people brings to, to, a, to a moment. So whereas I, I, I don't wanna say the IOC absolutely did the right thing here and that these Olympics were the greatest Olympics ever, I don't think anyone's actually saying that. I, I, I think Bach is onto something when, when, when he says that. So Matt, I have two thoughts, both in a, I guess surprisingly glass half full vein. Um, the first related to what you just said about the athletes and the just the level at which they compete. And I was thinking about this when we when sports resumed in the summer of 2020 after being off for months and they were, you know, the NBA was playing and the WNBA was playing in front of no crowds and Major League Baseball and everybody else. And I, I, I had a new appreciation for the unbelievable level of focus of elite athletes that that that. Their ability to repeat their skills, no matter the circumstances, at the level they do is astonishing. And I very much saw that throughout the Olympic games like you and related to that, like for example, when I was watching the track and field events, which I really like to watch on television anyway, I mean, if they pan to the crowd, you can see that there aren't that many people there. Oh no, almost no one. Yeah, but, but, but when the camera is normally trained on the track, you're not really seeing the crowd anyway. Like, and it didn't, it didn't really matter for my experience of a television, like watching Sydney McLaughlin yeah. in 400 meter hurdles and she was amazing. Like I wasn't thinking, oh, it's too bad. There's not a crowd here. I, I, I feel like I had the same experience of it. I normally would. So in those ways, I think I was less, my experience was less diminished than I probably expected it to be. Well, like you, for me, the Olympics is all about track and field. Um, I, I'm going to offend a lot of people right now. I couldn't wait for week one to get over. Enough with the swimming, enough with the gym, gymnastics. I, I know we need to talk about gym, gymnastics in just a second, but give me my track and field. That's what the Olympics, you know, it, track and field is so big in, in the rest of the world, they just call it athletics. I mean, that's what athletics are. And so I, 
I probably watch more track and field this Olympics than I ever have, um, you know, because the whole thing was done on our time being here in the eastern part of the, the United States. We're going to you can wake up in the morning and you can watch three hours and then you can right before going to bed, you can watch three hours. You know, the, these poor athletes having to compete at seven o'clock in the morning so I can watch it live. But that's the way the Olympics works. I, I actually did miss the the roar of the crowd. I was reminded I was doing a little research about the um, 1500 meters and the 5000 meters and and I went back and rewatched Mo Farah's win in the 5000 meter or maybe it was the 10000 meters in in London in 2012 uh, where the crowd just exploded. And I mean, I, I, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it right now. And I got goosebumps watching it then. So we did miss those moments. But to your point, I think it's a testament to the athletes who all their lives have learned to feed off the crowd. I mean, it, it, it's like eating a power bar for them, right? I mean, it just makes them better. And they had to do it without it. And I don't know, they, they, they seem to do a pretty good, good job in these games. Yeah, so just uh, before we get into maybe some more substantive issues, there's one moment I wanted to share that I just happened to turn on the TV the other day during the, the men's marathon. Yeah, I, Jonathan, I watched it start to finish. You, okay, all right, well, I did not, but I'm, so I'll share with you my moment and then you can give me your impressions. And of course the marathon is, is in many ways still the iconic Olympic event. Yeah, and, and for those who don't know, right, so the, the very first marathon is run at those first games in 1896. It's, it's created for those games, and it's traditionally the last event now at the games. Right, so, so the defending men's champion, a Kenyan, Elihu Kipchoge. Kipchoge, yeah. The world record holder, and I, I, his, the official world record time is 201 something. And just to be clear, that is 435 a mile for 26 miles. And it's utter, I mean, and the problem with marathons on television is you can't really appreciate what they're doing visually. How, how fast they're going, how yeah. How fast they're going for the insanely long period of time they're going. But but this is the point that I tuned in. Although now. Jonathan, every, every once in a while, some joker yeah. on the sideline tries to run along with them yeah, and just yeah. gets left in the dust. <laughs> he's got no, <laughs> right. Right. and so he's fresh. Little, you get a little bit of perspective. So I happen to tune in when they reach the 20 mile mark. And that itself is like, they've run 20 miles and now they have another 10K, okay? They got a 10K left, yeah. yeah. So, so I tuned in at 20 miles and there was a pack of eight runners. Kipchoge was slightly in the lead. Yeah. And right at 20 miles, he just, and he's been running a 440 whatever for 20 miles and he just decides to take off. Now it's time. How is this possible? That well, it, there was that that wonderful moment. Maybe you saw it then, or not not wonderful if you're Galen Rupp, where the the American was just right on his shoulder the entire time, and Kipchoge looked back at him as if to say, "All right, uh, I'm getting tired of you drafting on me uh, off me. Are <laughs> are you going to take take the lead?" And Galen Rupp gave him this this kind of smirk, and then Kipchoge just said, "See you later." Um, and turn on the afterburners. And to me, actually, that performance, just, just because, Jonathan, I, I, I went for a 
about a six mile run yesterday. It was about 80 degrees and about 60% humidity. And at mile four, I hit the wall. I mean, it was so hot and, and, and humid. These guys, you know, the, the marathon was moved out of Tokyo because it was so hot in, 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 in Tokyo. They moved it to Sapporo. It ended up being hotter in Sapporo than it was in Tokyo. It was 85% humidity. The fact that he could keep that pace in those conditions, I'm just astounded by, by him. The New York City Marathon, when I was growing up, was the first marathon I paid any attention to. And Bill Rogers, which is, was this great American runner who won the New York City Marathon several years in a row in the late 1970s. And the New York City Marathon is always run in early November, so they can get temperatures basically in the 50s. And so right. the idea that you're running a marathon in 80 degree heat with high humidity is it's they they moved it to seven in the morning to to help. You know, it would have been a killing field had they had had they not done it. Well, Jonathan, this is one of the critiques of the IOC and the, and, and and the organizers. The Summer Olympics are now in August because of the United States. I mean, that is, there's no, you know, when, when the games were first in Tokyo in 1964, they were in October. Now summer games are in, even when they're in the uh, Southern Hemisphere, you know, the games will be in their winter, um, Sydney or Rio. It's because NBC pays so much money. Uh, we Americans want our summer games in the summer and NBC wants to use it to promote their fall schedule and then just move into the TV watching. So the games are in August and the organizing committee, you know, absolutely lied. They said weather conditions in Tokyo in August are ideal for athletic performance or anyone who knows anything about weather in Tokyo says that's the hottest month. It's the most humid month. In 1964, when a baby Bikila won the marathon in, in, in Tokyo, it was hot and muggy. And that was in October. And now here we are half a century later with global warming. It's in August. It, it really did sort of open the Japanese organizing committee and the IOC open to the charge that they really don't care about the health of, of the athletes. Um, and so in that sense, box statement about you athletes put on such a wonderful show. It's all about the athletes. That's where I kind of roll my eyes and think to myself, and I don't kind of roll my eyes. I roll my eyes and think to myself, it's not about the athletes. It's about the money. And you get the most money by putting these games on at this particular time. And in that regard, of course, this is like every other major sports organization, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. So we're not surprised. Yeah. No, not, but, 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 I, but I think the reason you're bringing it up, Matt, is that the Olympics does, not unlike the NCAA actually, does purport to stand for some set of ideals beyond just cold, you know, dollars and cents that make it a little bit more egregious when they so blatantly misrepresent what the actual enterprise is about. Yeah, it, it, I think that's right. And, and but, but, you know, to be fair, what we get at the Olympics are these moments where, you know, a, a Qatarian and an Italian high jumper, and I tried to commit their names to memory and I've for, forgotten them already, when it turns out they both received a gold medal and they're hugging and they're crying. You know, th these moments are meaningful, I I. I think, and and for all the the naysayers out there, boy, and everyone I follow on social media, they are such big critics of the Olympic Games, and I'm a critic of the games to yeah. an extent. Yeah. 
but we were all watching them. Um, and and, just, and just they to go back, Matt, to the moment that you just referenced, and I don't remember the names of the two. Oh, but Jonathan, I just remember the name of that country. Okay. Eswatini. Okay, no, I'm, I'm sure you just made that up. I do not. <laughs> Eswatini used to be Swaziland. Now it's yeah. Eswatini. I did not know that, but okay. I now kind of know that because okay. of watching the, the, the Olympics. All right, sorry. Yeah, and so, th so this high jump competition that you just referred to, the Qatari and Italian competitors were exactly tied. And the official comes over to them and says, okay, it's time for a jump off. And one of them says, well, instead, can we just both share the gold medal? And the official, like for a minute, was didn't know what to say. And then I think just said, yes, you can. No, actually, what he said was, it is possible. Oh, it's possible. Okay, right, 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 right. Which to an American means, well, theoretically, but I think to the rest of the world, it means, sure. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and so, so they just... And, and then there's this, this beautiful moment of elation and connection and... So yeah, it, that was a one of those lovely unexpected moments that suckers like us in particular kind of look for. Yeah. And as you know, I'm 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 half Italian and I root pretty pretty fiercely for Italy. No one celebrates a victory like an Italian, Jonathan. <laughs> Boy, that, I mean, whether it's the hundred meter dash or the four by one hundred meters or or the high jump. So Jonathan, we were just talking about um, the well being of the athletes. A little bit and if i think if there's one storyline from these games if there's gonna be one legacy it's going to be the simone biles story you know and coming on the heels of naomi osaka saying i'm not going to do interviews anymore at the french open because it's bad for my mental health and my well-being and then of course osaka it didn't hurt her she was she was given the honor of of lighting the the olympic cauldron in the stadium and then we get the shocking news of simone biles you know we wake up that that one morning to find out that simone biles has withdrawn from the competition and she pretty much withdrew for the entirety of the competition this is in the middle of the team all around competition which is in one of the absolute most high profile events at the Olympics. Yes. And, and then she ends for, up for certainly for an American audience. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, I just sort of um, was poo pooing the gym gymnastics competition a little bit, but people tune in to ladies gymnastics. They, they love it. It's like ladies figure skating at the, the, at the winter games. It's, it's one of the signal events. So I'm going to be honest in just a second. I'd like to know maybe what your immediate reaction was and if it's the same as, as the way you're thinking about it now. So I, I would say my immediate reaction, I think I had mixed feelings because I think my immediate reaction was on the one hand and whatever, this is my old sports something like you're in the middle of a competition. How can you withdraw? Um, and then my other reaction was, given the level at which she has competed for as long as she has, something must have really been going wrong for yeah. her, well, for her did, to, need to withdraw. Did you see the, the, the vault where she got the, the so-called twisties? Uh, actually, I did not. It, it's, it's, it's terrifying, actually. Um, it, it was, uh, I didn't really understand it either. Yeah, same thing. Come on, kid. You, you you rub a little dirt on it and you and, yeah, and you yeah. keep on going. Yeah, yeah, That's what sports yeah, yeah. are. Right, right, right. That's what we 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 celebrate. Yeah. And I was starting to change my mind about it as I read more and think, wow, that really was a, a, 
a, a pretty courageous act to actually withdraw. And then when I saw the vault and where her eyes roll in the back of her head and her arms go out and she clearly had no idea, just to see Simone Biles, who I think on our last podcast, we both called maybe the greatest athlete in the world today, yes. completely lose sense of where she was. I, 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 it's a testament to her, her, her remarkable ability that she landed on her feet and not on her neck. She was clearly disoriented. Right, so these twisties, I mean, we've all read a little bit about it now, essentially are you are in mid-air e mid in a position that humans are not naturally supposed <laughs> to be in, let us be no. clear, and, yeah. you, and you become completely physically and I guess psychologically disoriented. And as I'm describing that, as I read about it, I found myself thinking, the, the question isn't like, how do you get disoriented? The question is, how do they do what they normally do? <laughs> you know, right, right. Especially as, as they do it, because it's so insane what they're what they're trying to accomplish. It is, yeah. When you watch the when you watch the gymnastics competition, well, first of all, I, I I can't really even figure out what's going on. And then when they slow it down, you realize how incredible it is it just doesn't make any sense what these bodies are are doing it also, you know part of what we want from our sports is this sense of like watching human transcendence and there's this profundity to when these transcendent athletes and biles as a transcendent athlete yeah. actually remind us that they are fully human yeah I think that's a that's a complicated experience to relate to. Yeah, and and to go back to what you were saying before, right? At, at first, it just didn't make any sense to me. Like, what? This, 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 you know, and and I I immediately thought of Osaka, um, and then again, Sarah Spain and others they were they were writing these articles suggesting of how courageous it was, how brave it was, and I got to be honest, there was something that just didn't quite work for me with that 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 argument i, I was dead look you have to do what's best for you always and so she did what's best for her so good on her that's that's exactly what she she should do there was something about the way people were completely praising her that didn't quite I, I, and i couldn't articulate it till i read an article it was written by a black woman who said why do we have to see this as brave and courageous what can can a person in in particular can can a black woman just not be vulnerable you know why can't we see this moment as that and that's actually the first moment when i thought to myself yes that's what this is this is a, a world-class athlete weakness is not the right word i think vulnerability is the right word yeah and and, and matt i i really like you I prefer that way of thinking about it because if anything, this Biles moment is an opportunity for us not to engage in this ongoing hagiography of athletes. They can be normal. Yeah. They can, they can have challenges. Now, the, the part that, I mean, the part that I don't know if brave is the right word, the part that I appreciate is and the and Biles' harshest critics, who you know, whatever. There's a lot of idiocy out there, but that I don't think they appreciate or they don't care to appreciate is that actually had to go against every instinct 
that she had yeah. as an elite athlete to yeah. not do it, right? Because all she has done since she was a little kid, basically, is attack her sport in the most ferocious way imaginable. Yeah. So to actually have a moment where she's like, I can't do it anymore. I, I do appreciate how instinctively difficult that must be. And you were mentioning all of the the idiocy that was out there. I mean, she she clearly poked a nerve, you know, for people who are tired of millennials and for people who think that female athletes are just weaker than 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 male athletes. I think if there was one sick burn, as the kids call it, that I that that I that I loved. It was when someone posted on Twitter, you know, Michael Jordan never didn't play a game seven of the NBA finals because of mental health reasons. And someone pointed out, well, first of all, Michael Jordan never played a game seven in the NBA finals. So you don't know anything about about the, the history of the NBA. And they pointed out Michael Jordan actually walked away from basketball when his father was was killed. I mean, Michael Jordan literally quit basketball for reasons that have to do with mental health for two, for two years. For her two years. Yeah, I know. So the, the, there are a lot of idiots out there. But Jonathan, here's where. Jonathan, you don't have to tell us exactly how old you are, but are, are you a boomer? I am not a boomer. You're, you're pretty close though, right? I, I was born, let me be very clear. This is <laughs> okay. Because it's the most important part of the entire podcast. I was born in 1965. That is, so I'm, 50, I'm 55 now. That is the first year of Gen X. And I am holding that line <laughs> as fiercely as I can. So... Okay, so you are not a boomer. I wasn't sure. I, thought, I, I knew you were kind of right on the fence there. I, I am of the Gen X generation, um, solidly in the Gen X. I, I didn't just make it. I am solidly you, you in the You are firmly ensconced. Yeah, I'm firmly ensconced, although I'm, I'm pretty much the same age as you. Um, this is where, though, I'm going to feel sort of, I think, like a boomer. And, and, and yeah. when I think about Naomi Osaka, and when I think about Simone Biles, and when I think about Michael Phelps, who, who has also talked about these, these issues. And, I, you know, I think last podcast, I was bemoaning the fact that I was going to have to listen to Michael Phelps. I thought we were done with Michael Phelps, and he was going to be narrating the swimming. I did think there was a, a, a real value in having Michael Phelps there when the Simone Biles story um, I, I, I agree. happened. Because he's, 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 he's practiced at, at, at talking about these issues. And I thought he did a did a good good job with that um but the thing that i kept hearing over and over and I, actually jonathan this is what i'm thinking about our our, our students too who sometimes i feel like are, are just sort of overwhelmed with with the the, the the phrase i kept hearing was i have the world on my shoulders i felt like i had the world on my shoulders you know, we as a society, and I think athletes like Simone Biles, who are, are, are monetizing themselves so successfully, part of it is social media. You're on social media all the time, talking about what they think. And I can't even imagine what it's like to be a Black female athlete and get on social media and read what some people are, are saying about you. Speaking of idiocy, all of the people out there who are probably making it very clear to her that, first of all, we are rooting for you so hard because of who you are, and or I am rooting against you so much because I don't like people like you. I just want to kind of say to these athletes and people in general who feel this pressure, disconnect. 
um, which is what Suni Lee did, right? Who ended up winning the all around. And that was a great story in the games. She talked about just having to get off social media and focus her herself. And I, I don't know, like, again, I sound like an old person saying get off Twitter, but, but I think that's one of the answers out there for athletes who feel so much pressure. That's one of the kind of lasting in, in, in impressions I have of these games as well. Yeah, and Matt, I, I, Matt, just one thought about that is the 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 advice to get off social media. I think is good. I just also think it's unbelievably hard. I mean, yeah. I just think about how hard it is for me to disconnect from my devices and screen time. And you know, I'm obviously not in the same position that they are, and I do feel like you are speaking to this larger challenge. Yeah, sure. And, and certainly if you're Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles and you have a gazillion followers on Instagram and that's why you get $50 million a year if you're Naomi Osaka in endorsements, it, it, it works against your, 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 your economic interests to, to do this. Yeah, I, I, but I think the Simone Biles story has opened up a conversation that's going to be, we're, we're going to be having this, this conversation for a while. Osaka certainly started, well, I guess Phelps, and others yeah. did. Osaka brought it to another level. And then Simone Biles just uh, made it the issue of the games. Well, and, and just one more thing about Biles. I think that is in part because the uh, there was a lot of anticipation that these Olympics would be the crowning achievement of her spectacular yeah. career. And even earlier this year, she was doing things in gymnastics that no one's ever done before. Right, and I was looking forward to seeing some of those things. Me, me too, and so I think the that the anticipation versus what unfolded was part of what made it such an extraordinary story. Well, um, to, to switch gears a little bit, Jonathan, here's a, a a stat that I read this morning, and I'm so you read me a quote. I'm going to give you a statistic, and you can okay. tell me what what you think it means. Apparently, 60% of all wagering in Olympic on Olympic competitions, 60% of all money wagered was wagered on women's events. Okay. Someone figured this out and they put that on the internet, so it must be true. Um, and I'm just kind of wondering what what your reaction is to well, that. I, I in one way, I'm surprised only because I think of men as the overwhelming majority of sports wagerers. Okay. And I would assume, but perhaps incorrectly, that they would be, they would be more interested in wagering on men's events. Yeah, Jonathan, I don't know a single woman who yeah. bets on sports this is what i'm saying <laughs> yeah i know a lot of men who do <laughs> me too <laughs> yeah i'm sure they're out there i just Obviously don't know them. company excluded but yes yeah. we know men who yeah so so my first reaction is i'm 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 surprised and that and that's and that's interesting but i think it also does speak to one of the things i think it speaks to is how high profile women's athletics have become actually yeah, that there's just that level of interest and attention to it. And I guess the money is following that. Yeah, I, I think it's a kind of a perverse way of gauging it. I mean, and, and I realize I'm the one who, who, who brought it up. But I think it does suggest in a weird way that maybe 
one of the legacies of the 2020 games, as we're supposed to call them, is that these are the games where we're going to say that we really got about as close to, to, to gender equity or maybe as we're going to ever get, or I don't know, there's always room for, for, for change and improvement. But, you know, boy, where would Team USA be without its female athletes and the medal count? I want to talk about medal counts in just a second. But, you know, what women's sports really seem to have been maybe the biggest story at the games, and not just in gymnastics, where people don't care about men's gymnastics nearly as much, but track and field, as well. Field. And I would also add that, I mean, again, from a US perspective, both the men's and women's basketball teams won their respective gold medals. There was a tremendous amount of attention paid to the women. I mean, if yeah. anything, the men were sort of disappointing. They scuffled, they got their acts together in the end, but really it was only because of Kevin Durant that they won the gold medal, whereas the women are this juggernaut yeah. on their seventh straight gold medal, and they're a machine. And so, I mean, even in a sport, I guess that is to say that traditionally there's been a lot more focus on men than women. It did not feel that way at these at these Olympics. Yeah, in swimming, Katie Ledecky getting at least as much attention as Caleb Dressel. And what I liked about Katie Ledecky more than Caleb Dressel, she doesn't have a giant tattoo of a bald eagle on her arm, you know, so I have to look at that all the time. But uh, yeah, I was really, um, I, I was interested in a couple things with regards to, to, to gender at these games. I, I, I thought it was fascinating that they had these, these mixed sex relays yep. in, in swimming and, and, and track. And I think, what was it, maybe archery or shooting had them as well. And these made a lot of sense to me. I mean, you think about where do we ever see men and women competing in the same arena? Uh, Jonathan, is it tennis? Is, is that the it, mixed doubles in oh, tennis? Doubles. That, yeah, that might be the only one. That's and, the and, right. And the question is, what, what, why wouldn't we do more of that? Why wouldn't we, we do it? Yeah. And it was interesting to watch. I don't know if you saw the, the, the four by 400 mixed relay and, and, and some teams, did a male, female, male, or I guess it was actually female, male, female, male um, uh, way of doing it. And then one team, I think Nigeria mixed up the order. It was, it was very interesting seeing men run against women kind of, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what, what, what lessons I learned from it, but I thought that made sense. Um, I think one of the issues moving forward at the 2024 games is going to be why do the women do the heptathlon and men do the decathlon? I think that's an obvious, I don't know if the decathlon is better than the heptathlon, um, but no, it but seems what, to be what we do know, Matt, is just like the women, women in tennis still play best two out of three at major tournaments, right? Two out of five. It's, it's a legacy of just old sexist notions. There's no right. actual good reason why that's still the case. Right. So, Correct. yeah. So, I mean, the men could do the heptathlon, I suppose, but there's no reason why they're doing separate. You know, they're, one is doing seven events and the other is doing 10. I think that's right. Women ran the marathon. Um, yes. they, 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 they did not run the marathon until 1984, almost a full century after the, the, the Olympic Games started. Yeah, but I, I think th there's some talk of the International Track and Field Federation instituting the decathlon for, for, for women in Paris 19. Again, I don't want to get in the habit of saying women are not being treated equally unless they're being treated, they're, they're competing in the exact same events 
as men. I think it's more complicated than that. No, that we I, do often gauge equality in that sense. I, I agree. And again, I mean, I, I think the interesting question is to what extent do what I think we can just clearly call sexist notions still govern athletics as opposed to other considerations about what kinds of competitions and events it makes most sense for athletes to compete in. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And John, we were talking about um, issues about sex and sexism and uh, issues about gender identity. We talked about Laurel Hubbard in our last uh, earlier podcast. That story was put on the back burner, I suppose, because Laurel Hubbard did not perform particularly well at these Olympic Games. I think we're going to have to wait for a transgender athlete to be on the medal stand for this really to become the issue that's going to make you know half the world's head explode yes. and then we're going to really start start arguing so that you know that issue's still out there it's on the back burner it's simmering um time in 2024 we'll do a podcast and we'll look forward to that we'll look forward to to this issue yeah so matt you mentioned a few moments ago and i know you're interested in whether we should still be interested in metal counts yeah let's so, um, let's, so let's yeah. just start here you know that you still when if you go to espn's homepage, you will always see a list of the countries that have won the most medals organized both by who won the most medals total and who won the most gold um, and the united states ended up winning the most medals overall um, by 25 over china and then on the last day passed it for uh won one more gold medal than china right um, and so the question is i think your question is should we still care about that um well i think the answer is no we actually shouldn't care all that much about it um but th- look the, the the olympics are are, are based on this on this weird paradox right it's supposed to be about bringing athletes together we're all the same uh global harmony and yet athletes are forced to represent these different political entities um you know i in my olympic class i like to play this game where i suggest the olympics would be better and by that i mean they'd be more pure and more in line with their original intent if there were no nations at the olympic games there were no national flags so we had the parade of athletes where all the shot putters enter together and then the archers together and the swimmers together rather than people marching behind these and matt from from the standpoint of pure competition let us know there might be some sports in which if you want to have the best athletes in the world, there would be 10 Americans competing and yeah. three of everybody else. And in another, it'd be seven Kenyans and three of everybody else. Yep. But because every country, it's kind of like the Major League Baseball All-Star game. Every team has to send one player, uh-huh. which, doesn't, which means you don't necessarily get the best roster. I think women's gym, gymnastics is a great example of that. I mean, it, certainly four years ago, arguably the five or five years ago, the five greatest gymnasts were all American, but only what two or, or three got to compete in the all around. I mean, so it's, it, it's not fair in that sense. Right. So maybe the sports would be, look, I have no doubt that national flags and anthems make the games more interesting to people because it gives people immediate rooting interest um although i read an interesting how excited you you mentioned that you are in in italy partisan at the games and i by the way i've said this before i am a sports nationalist i definitely root for the united states during 
global competitions, but how excited were you when somebody, though he was born in Texas, yeah, born in Texas, <laughs> running under the Italian flag, won the hundred meter men's championship, which is one of the iconic events of the Olympics. To me, it's the I, I, iconic event at the the Olympics. Yeah, so I'm 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 guilty of, of falling into sports nationalism. I, I actually I, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I tend to root against most American athletes just because I feel like we Americans have every advantage when it comes to to sports you know the 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 United States Olympic Committee is the only national Olympic Committee guaranteed money by the IOC um, so we are the most well-funded Olympic committee that this goes back to NBC and NBC wants to show Americans and frankly I get a little tired of all Americans all the time when we watch the the, the Olympics I'd like to see uh, some, by, by the way I, I agree some, yeah. some other athletes yeah but um when you and I grew up the medal count was huge um the, the the battle between the United States and the Soviet Union it was everything you either won the Olympics or you lost the the Olympics and at least that's the way I thought of it growing up in the 1970s and the 1980s absolutely and a lot of times when you and I were growing up we lost to the Soviet Union oh, usually lost usually. to the Soviet Union and often, even to East Germany I think um, sometimes even to East Germany, the country the, the, the size of Tennessee. Would, now, it, it turns out there were some chemicals involved, but <laughs> Americans weren't exactly pure when it came to, yeah, yeah, to, to yeah. doping in competition. Yeah, so I, I was wondering to what extent people cared about the medal count, and in particularly, there seemed to be a battle with China. Um, China got out to an early lead in the U.S. easily won the most overall medals, but it yeah. seemed to be about goals. And, and China explicitly said, we are going to win the most gold medals. Um, and they were in, in the lead based on, someone pointed out, and I don't know what I, I guess this is true. A lot of these victories were in competitions where it's sort of about rote memorization, um, diving, archery, shooting, although 100 meters is rote memorization too. May or may not be a stereotype. Yeah, I know. I, I and again, I I think running 400 meters is rote memorization as well. You have the particular form, so I didn't quite buy that. Yeah. But they got out to an early lead, and then the United States in the very last day came back and and and, and passed China. We asked Daniel, our our wonder producer and and representative of a younger generation, um, if if he cared. The official voice of Gen Z on this podcast. And, and he said, yeah, he said it was actually a big deal among him and his friends when the United States, I, I, I was a little surprised to hear that. Um, I suppose if, if, if tensions were even higher with China, maybe it would be more meaningful to, to, to more Americans. Um, I was a little less interested in the medal count this time around. But then again, right, um, I'm almost a boomer. I'm jaded. I've been through this before. And to me, if it's not the Soviet Union, it just doesn't matter. Well, okay. So I, as I said, I, I do pay attention to medal counts and I, I am rooting for the United States to win the count. And I found myself during the first week when China and the United States and overall medals were very close, thinking to myself, well, just wait till we get into track and field and we yeah. do, and the separation will become obvious. But Matt, there's one other issue I want to mention in relation to metal counts, which is, and this has to do with the fact that China has now emerged as a 
sports superpower. Yes. And it is this, that if you look at the medal table, the US, China, Great Britain, Japan had their best Olympics ever. Yeah. Um, really what you're seeing, and there's a book that I assign in my, in my sports class, Soccernomics, a great book. And one of the things they talk about is how much national wealth explains global sporting success. And it's really strike. I mean, so the fact that China has risen in the ranks to the degree that it has in recent decades is clearly related to its own extraordinary economic boom. And if you look at the top of the table, companies like Britain, countries like Britain, Japan, et cetera, it's very clear. India, the second most populous country in the world, Indonesia, the fourth most populous country in the world, they're down in single digits in total medal counts. And countries like Norway, which are a fraction of the size of those countries, even in the summer Olympics, let alone the winter Olympics, are outperforming in terms of medals, those countries. So that is one thing that I, I, I can't help but notice as I look at those tables, the degree to which you mentioned the US, the US's uniquely well-funded system, but it's really a, it's really true of the wealthy countries generally. In in general, yeah. Well, and if our friend Victoria Jackson were here, she would say, and that system is based on college football which raises all of the money that then allows for the Olympic sports to be subsidized at colleges. So like, that's where the wealth comes. I mean, she, she takes it to the next level, which I think is such a, such a, I mean, it's an obvious argument in retrospect. I just hadn't thought of it in those terms. Um, Yeah. Well, that's actually why I find myself being a little uneasy rooting for American athletes, because yeah, I, I, and I suppose I'm not rooting for China either, you know, with this, this um, massive, I I don't even want to call it a state supported sports system because it doesn't matter where the support comes from. I mean, any, any more. It's why I I get excited when a a Namibian wins or when, when, when an Indian uh, wins in the javelin, it was so notable. You know, um, th- those are the the, the moments. It, it really speaks to that idea about fairness in sports, which we've talked about in many different ways over the course of this podcast. But just how fair are the Olympic Games when it's so obviously tied to these issues of, of national wealth? So, right. So then I think what, what I'm concluding is that I should be ashamed that I'm rooting for the United States. Correct. To win the medal count. Correct. And I need some kind of corrective therapy to, <laughs> to deal with that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I was a little surprised to hear you say that, 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 that you root for the US. Um, I'm trying to, trying to keep it real here, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, and I suppose, um, oh, I don't know. I just said that, but I was so reading, rooting for like Ating Mu in the 800 meters. I thought that was such an, yeah, yeah. an amazing story. Although I did wish that Caster Semenya had been there racing against her. That was a, something that they really did not even mention, Caster Semenya's absence. In, in- uh, you and I touched on this last time, and this is, again, this is really for its own episode. The entire field of the 800 meter women's competition this year was different yeah because so many women who competed in that event five years ago were because of gender policing yep. were not allowed to yeah and, and and to your point the fact that that was barely mentioned was a glaring 
and probably not accidental omission. I thought so. I thought so. Yeah. Well, Jonathan, um, anything else we need to talk about, or do you think we've we've, we've bored the people plenty with our with, with our <laughs> thoughts and feelings I think, and emotions? I think we've done a thorough job of that. So. I, I, I do want to, and I suppose that this is a promo for an upcoming episode or a tease. Again, and I've said this before, if there's one story that's just looming out there, it's, you know, the next Olympics are six months away and they're going to take place in Beijing in 2022. We were just talking about China and, you know, China wants to do very, very well at those games and, 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 and will do well at those games. The United States does relatively poorly when it went at the at the Winter Olympics. But the discussion about whether the United States should send a team to, to China because of what's going on in Hong Kong and, and with the Uyghurs um, and just in China itself. And the US is going to send a team, but what type of statement or what type of protest the Americans are going to make? I wanna talk about that in an upcoming episode if you're yeah. interested. Yes, we, 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 we definitely will. Okay. Well, you want to do your thing and take us out? Sure. Yeah. Okay. This has been another episode of the Agony of Defeat podcast. Uh, you can find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And we really encourage you to spread the word, rate us, especially if you like us, and otherwise let people know where they can find it. Until next time, we're out.